What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So what did the Lord do in the face of all this discouragement? He said, but... And when he said that, it was the equivalent of the Lord saying, no, no, I will not give in. No, I will fight. Reminds me of of a reporter, Bruce Johnson, in Washington, D.C. on the Channel 9 News. He was the anchor for the Channel 9 News. And he had a, a, a sore throat, and it wouldn't go away. And he went to Georgetown University, and after nine hours, this test, this, this, this doctor says, oh, you got a cold, you got, oh, you got the flu, you, you know, oh, you know, take this, go away. And he was just going back and forth, nothing came. And finally, he said, could this be cancer? And that's what it was, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he wrote an article, and, he, and the article was called, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about dying. And in the article, Bruce, Bruce talks about starting out this, with his fight against cancer, and he says, I'm going to kick cancer. And halfway through the chemo, Bruce writes, I gave up, and I surrendered to cancer. And he was totally discouraged, totally given up. And that was the time when God sent to Bruce a little five-year-old neighbor boy named Malcolm. And he came over to Bruce's house every day, and he'd knock on the door, and he said, he'd knock on the door, and he'd yell. He said, hey, Bruce, just going to come in and look around for a while. (laughs) And if Bruce didn't come to the door right away, Malcolm would would put his mouth up to the mail slot and say, Bruce, Bruce, open the door, open the door, Malcolm. And and Malcolm come in there and play with Bruce's dog and and eat cookies and and watch TV. He's got a picture of Malcolm there. That's the little guy who came there, brought him some flowers, and uh, that's Bruce. Bruce with his buddy Malcolm. That's who God sent to help him pull through this. And, the, and what's important here, the Lord did not have a little Malcolm. He didn't have a little five-year-old guy to come over here every day as with Bruce. He didn't have somebody to come up to the cross and encourage the Lord on the cross. The Lord was all alone on the cross. And that's why the word in verse 9 is so important when it says, but, because that was the Lord saying, I will not give up, I'm alone I will not surrender to the devil. I will not surrender to discouragement. Even though though the Lord has been forsaken by all and especially by God, and the Lord says, I will not forsake God. 
Have you ever been in a pool with a little kid, you know, the little kid doesn't, doesn't know how to swim, and, and you're holding the kid real tight, and you're in the pool, and then all of a sudden, just for fun or whatever the reason is, you just go like that, and you let go of the kid? <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> You'll be arrested. But <laughs> if you ever do do that, you're going to find a kid that's going to grab a hold of you with all his worth, he's going to throw his arms around you and pull in, and you can go like this, and that kid's going to cling to you as he wraps his arms around your neck. He's in a state of panic. The child is clinging. And this is what we see the Lord doing here. The Lord is clinging to God. God has thrown open his arms and he's forsaken him, and the Lord is clinging to God. God has taken his arms away and he forsook the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus is clinging to God. And this is the first strategy when he says in verse nine, is forsaken him, oh no, verse nine, thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou dost make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. And this is the first strategy of clinging is where the Lord Jesus reminds God of how God had brought him out of his mother's womb and made him hope when he was nursing this is the clinging with purpose. It's the clinging with purpose. The position that the Lord is taking here is to argue with God, you had a purpose when you brought me into this world, and it was not to go through some meaningless death here. And so this is the argument that Moses used successfully when God was on the verge of destroying Israel because of their sin. And it says in, in Numbers 14.11, Numbers 14.11, the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. That's when Moses stepped in. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in the might among them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that the Lord... Thou, Lord, art among this people, that thou art seen face to face, that thy cloud standeth over them, that thou goest before them by day, pillar in a cloud, and in a pillar of night. Of night, You see what he's doing there? He's going back and he's recounting all the things that God did for them. Now, if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then all the nations have heard of the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. Now, Lord, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken. The Lord is long-suffering, great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Moses used this argument, and it was very successful with it. He argued with the Lord that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt for a purpose, to bring them into the land of promise. And it was that in order argument. It was that for the purpose of, for the end of argument, that Moses succeeded with God and stopped God from destroying Israel. And this is what the Lord Jesus is doing here in verse 9. He is arguing that God took him out of the womb and made him hope when he was on his mother's breast for a purpose. And this could not be the final purpose of God, that he should be just be crushed by discouragement. And it teaches us, when we see this, what we are to do when we are discouraged is to have this clinging faith where we look back over our lives and we see all the deliverances that God has done for us as he did for Israel with the pillar of fire and the cloud and so forth. And it's to argue this basic point. You did not bring me to this point of life just to destroy me now. 
And that reminds me of what happened to a, a missionary named Frederick Olford. Frederick Olford was the father of Stephen Olford. Stephen Olford was the man who Billy Graham said was the most influential man in his life. And Frederick Olford went to Angola around 1900 to bring the gospel to the natives. And one day, Frederick Olford was walking in the long grass, it was a long journey he was taking by, by foot, to a village that was far away. And the sun was beating hard and they had run out of water and their eyes had started to bulge for dehydration and they were on the brink of dying for lack of water. And it was at that time when Frederick Olford got down on his knees and Stephen Olford was there, he heard him. He got down on his knees and he prayed out loud. Everyone heard him. He said, oh God, you have not brought me into Africa just to die for lack of water. Please send water. And that was the time the heavens became black and there was a huge thunderburst of water and they drank and drank and drank. That was the faith of clinging. That was the faith of not giving into discouragement. That was the faith of saying, you have a purpose, God, and it's not to crush me with discouragement. And that's what we've seen the Lord do here in these verses from verse nine to 11. So when we are faced with this level of discouragement that the Lord was faced with, there were the temptations to give up, give up and, and call it quits. We look at what the Lord did, and he said in verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. You took me out. You received me. You were the midwife, God, who took me out of the womb. And he says, he still calls God. He said, thou art my God. He had already said, our fathers. He is not going to give up. The people reject him. He will not reject Israel. The people will say, as they say to me, you're not a Jew. He says, I am. Those are my fathers. Our fathers trusted in thee. He, God has forsaken him, but God has forsaken him, yet he says, thou art my God. He calls him my God. But now the Lord looks, and he sees trouble all around him, and this is what impresses him. And he says in verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near. There's none to help. The Lord especially feels he's all alone. No one is there. There's no five-year-old Malcolm to come and help him. He's all alone, but he's not really alone. He's all alone, but he's not really alone because there's many around him, but they didn't come to help. They came to destroy. And he looks now and he sees all of his enemies in verse 12, and he says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. He looks there at his enemies and he says, there's many bulls that are around me. We can imagine the Lord looking at these individuals and trying to identify the individuals. There are just so many of them, it's hard for him. And he's afraid as he sees the sight of these vicious, vicious ones. And he says, they're bulls of Bashan, of all the animals that he could have chosen. Again, he thinks about all the animal realm, and he says, the bull. And what does the bull do? The bull gores and the bull tramples, like in the bull rings in, in Spain and Mexico. The bulls kill the matador when they gore. And this is how the Lord sees his enemies and, and what they had done to him. With He sees those horns, and he's saying to himself, they gored me, they gored me. He felt as though he had been gored through. He felt as though his hands had been gored through with holes. He felt as though his feet had been gored through with the horns of a bull. And some of us, you know, some of us are very sensitive to some physical thing that we might have. You know, Gorbachev with his birthmark on his head there, and, and who could ever think that uh, of Gorbachev without thinking of that birthmark? That's, that's how everybody saw Gorbachev. That's how Gorbachev saw himself. It was always with that, with, that, with, that, with that identifying mark on his face. Maybe you have something special 
you know, and when I think of myself, I can do this, see? Uh, double joints of my thumbs. Huh? <laughs> maybe there's something in your body that you have. Maybe you have red hair. I don't know. Anyway, but the Lord had something in his body that he could not picture himself without for all eternity. He pictured that as defining him. And those were the gore holes in his hands and in his feet. The Lord is very sensitive to those gore holes in his hands and his feet. As a matter of fact, there was a time when the Lord identified himself that it was really him. And what he did is he pointed to those holes. And it says in Luke 24, 39, Luke 24, 39, the Lord said, behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. I remember one time somebody was telling me, you know, that they had this dream and they saw the Lord, and I kind of wondered about it. And he would say, "Oh, I saw the Lord," and I t- and I asked him, I said, "Tell me, what, what, did you see anything special about his hands and his feet?" Because this is what the Lord said: "Behold, my hands and my feet, that is I myself." Just think of those amazing words: "Behold, my hands and my feet, that is I myself." For all eternity, the Lord is going to be sensitive to those gore holes on his hands and in his feet. Because those holes in his fan and his hands and his feet are the emblems for him of his love for us. And those holes in his hands and his feet speak of his willingness to suffer and to die for our sins. You know, they didn't have to, the soldiers, hey, come on over and help me. I got a real struggling one here. I got to hold these hands down while I put the nails through. I got to hold these feet. It wasn't that way at all. Just took one soldier. He just put his hands down, nail away. He remembers the day when he willingly surrendered his hands and his feet to the Roman bull's abation for them to gore through with the nails like a bull would gore through its victim. And how tender it is now to hear the Lord say in Luke 24, 39, 24, 39, behold my hands and my feet. This is the answer to the question, is it really you, Jesus? Is it really you, Jesus? Is it really me? Behold my hands and my feet. Do you really love man? Do you really love man? Do I really love man? Behold my hands and my feet. Do you really care what's happening to me like we've sung before in the hymn? Does Jesus care when my heart is broken? Do I care? Behold my hands and my feet. See, it's going to be the constant answer throughout eternity. Are you really the good shepherd? Are you really the good shepherd? Am I really the good shepherd? Behold my hands and my feet. This is how the Lord identifies himself. This is how he sees himself. And this is how he is seen in heaven in Revelation 5, 6. In Revelation 5, 6, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. He is seen as a lamb lamb as it has been slain. How does a lamb look after it's been slain? Not very pretty. Not very pretty sight at all. There is blood. There is blood on the fleas. And this is how the Lord appears in heaven, as a lamb that has been slain. He doesn't try to cover it up. He doesn't say the unsightliness of it. He doesn't go to put his hands in his pocket. I don't want anybody to see. But instead, he forever, behold my hands and my feet. Like Charles Wesley hymn, which says, Arise, my soul, arise. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Behold my hands and my feet. He calls his enemies here bulls of Bashan. Bashan was a region near the Jordan that was known for its rich countryside. It didn't have a lot of rocks in the pasture. It made particularly strong cattle. They were called bulls of Bashan. They had a reputation for being aggressive, 
and oppressive bulls. Talks about them in Amos 4.1. Amos 4.1, hear this, ye bulls of Bashan that are on the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. So the Lord is struck by them. He's struck by their strength, but he's also struck by their number. He says, many bulls, many bulls. And then he says, strong bulls. He's struck by their opposition, and how they crush the needy. And the Lord is struck by their position. They're all around. They compass me. They've surrounded him. This is common. This is common for what bulls do, for what buffaloes do, for what um, those other, and the dogs, hyenas do. The hyenas do. They form a circle. They form a circle around their prey before they gore them or, or kill them. And the Lord is thinking about how the bulls first gore and then they trample. Bulls gore. Bulls trample what they despise. And they typically foam at the mouth before they kill their prey. But there's two groups that are around his cross. First, there's this group that he calls the strong bulls of Bashan. That would be those in high position. They are the ones who are the strong bulls of Bashan. That's Pilate. That's Herod. That's the elders. That's the priests. That's the scribes. That's the Pharisees. They're the strong ones, the strong bulls of Bashan. But then there's another group. There's another group that's surrounding the Lord. These are the ones that the Lord refers to in verse 16. Verse 16, dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. He calls them dogs. These common, the common people of low degree, the Roman soldiers, the masses of the people who cried out, crucify him. They're surrounding the cross. And what's amazing about the group at the high position, the strong bulls of Bashan, and the group of the low position, the dogs, that has surrounded him, is that they're all in agreement. They're all in agreement. You've heard the saying before, if you have two Jews, there are three opinions. Well, there's a lot of Jews here, but there's only one opinion. And that opinion is expressed in Matthew 27.1. Matthew 27.1, when it says, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Here's an amazing thing. Here's all the chief priests. Here's all the elders. They are all now 100% in agreement. They are perfectly united. This is the word all. All, in Matthew 27.1, all the chief priests and elders. The key here are the words all against Jesus. All against Jesus. As a matter of fact, these are the words that really describe the scene here of the crucifixion. This is a scene of all against Jesus. When Peter and John pray to God in recounting what happened here, they talk about this all against Jesus in Acts 4.27. In Acts 4.27, when they pray to God and they say, for of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. That's what they said. Against thy holy child, Jesus, Herod, Pilate, Gentiles, Jews. This was a powerful union. Who's not in this category of all the Gentiles and all the Jews? All gathered together against Jesus. This is the theme of Psalm 2. Of Psalm 2. When God asks the question as if he's as if God starts off Psalm 2 by saying, I cannot believe it. I'm just astounded. I wonder what's going on. And Psalm 2 says, God says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. This is the true United Nations. This is the United Nations. This is what this is the all united against Jesus. Here's the new agreement now between the Gentiles and the people of Israel, all united and gathered against Jesus. And this answers the question, who killed Christ? Who killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it was all the Gentiles and all the Jewish people. Is there anybody else in between? It's all the sins of all. So the Lord looks at them, and, and as he looks at them, and he sees them as, as strong bulls, he sees one part that he singles out. It's their mouth. He says in verse 13, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Now, he says, they gaped upon me with their mouths. You know, we talk about there's a gaping hole here. It means there's a very big, wide hole. So when they gaped upon me with their mouth, they're talking about, he's talking about they've opened very wide their mouths as if to say they can't. A normal opening in the mouth is not good enough to get all the blasphemies out, so they open wide their mouth. They're resorting to, and Job talked about this. Really? Job talked about this in the same context, the same prophecy as Psalm 22 in Job 16.9. Job 16.9. When we read this, it says, He teareth me in his wrath who hateth me. He gnasheth upon me with his teeth. Mine enemy sharpeneth his eyes upon me. They have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. Just as we saw and we read here in the beginning, as you know, we read this, this is a Psalm of David. And we read that in Psalm 22. And right away we read that, it's a Psalm 22. And we say, really? I don't remember this happening to David. When was it that David was pierced in his hands and his feet and so forth? And it becomes very obvious that this is going far beyond David to the cross, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Same thing here. In Job 16.9, Job 16.9, when was it? In Job 16.9, when Job says, he teareth me in his wrath who hateth me. But that's what happened to the Lord Jesus. And the words, the same word, and Job says in Job 16.10, they have gaped upon me with their mouths. That's what it says in Psalm 22.13. And we know the time, well, we don't know the time when Job was ever smitten on the cheekbone, but we do with the Lord. In Job 16.10, they have smitten me upon the cheekbone. That was in Luke 22.64. Luke twenty two sixty four. when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? We know the time when it says in Job, Job 16, 10, they have gathered themselves together against me. This is the Psalm twenty two twelve. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. The dogs have surrounded. We know in Job 16, 11, God hath delivered me into the ungodly, turned me over into the hands of the wicked. When was that? That was Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken me to who? To the ungodly, to the wicked. Now the Lord, he further describes his enemy. He says they are a ravening lion, a ravening lion. A ravening is the word, Hebrew word taraf. Taraf, raven, it means to voraciously devour. It's what lions do. They tear off the meat as they eat it. He looks at his enemies, and he says, they're like cannibals ready to tear me apart. And the Lord sees this, and then he sees, he says, they're not only ravening, but they're roaring, a roaring lion. Amos talks about the roaring lion in Amos 3.4. Amos 3.4, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Lions roar when they have prey. The same is true of coyotes. When you're home and you hear a whole pack of coyotes yelling, you know it's too bad for some dog or cat. 
because that's what they do. And this is what Isaiah called out about the lions in, in Isaiah 5.29, Isaiah 5.29. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey and shall carry it away safe and none shall deliver it. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.